Well, over the last three Sundays, we've explored the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5, and now I've been left with a challenge. My colleagues dealt with the first three weeks, and now I've not got to just follow that, good sermons, but to deal with the remaining 32 verses in just 12 minutes. Blessed are the persecuted comes to mind. Thank you very much, guys. (laughs) Now, The verses that they had, uh, verses 1 to 16, were very challenging, but they were mainly positive. The beautiful attitudes that Jesus' followers should possess, the Christian character and our relationships, how they turn the values of the world upside down, and how Jesus' people become salt and light. Today's reading, verses 17 to 48, is controversial. The rubber hits the road here. And if we possess Jesus' character, the message is we must live it out and move from being to doing. The trouble is we often let what others do shape our character, which influences the way that we behave. Now, during lockdown, copious novels are being read. People have been binge-watching box sets, uh, perhaps a means of escape from the pandemic, catching up with various soaps and drama series and films, all of which seek to mirror human life. Yet murder, violence, promiscuity, stealing, lies and the like seem to be presented as normal. Yes, they spice up a good plot, but they also leave an impression and they can desanitize us too. So let us be careful what images we are storing up in our minds, what temptations are in our hearts. Christians say and believe the right things, but somehow we don't always behave accordingly because we're numbed, perhaps, to certain behaviour becoming the norm. What Satan does, I believe, is he makes evil acceptable and even look good. It's the art of confusion a little girl in Sunday school once asked what, was asked what a lie is. A lie is an abomination to God, she said. A very present help as well in time of trouble. <laughs> Jesus wants our beliefs and our words and actions to match up. And yet sometimes there's grey areas. Who we are in Christ should shape what we do. Our character that we've been looking at in the Beatitudes should change our conduct. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. So here Jesus gets to the nub of the real issues with great clarity. Anger, adultery, lust, divorce, revenge and enemies. And his words are very uncomfortable. Mark Twain once said, I'm not troubled by the things in the Bible which I don't understand, but I am troubled by those things that I do understand, which I find very difficult to measure up to. We must remember that in these verses, Matthew was presenting Jesus as the new Moses. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was restating the law. And that's why he said to the crowds, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He recalls some of the Ten Commandments and other parts of the moral law that God gave to Moses. 
the moral law as opposed to the civil and ceremonial laws. And most of God's moral law is couched in negatives, do not. In response to this, Jesus gives his own life-giving teaching. Because when God says no, it's because there's always a bigger yes. He has something better for us. But the Lord's words were shocking. If we find them shocking, they were an offence to Pharisees and their legalistic conduct. How dare he say these things? He was suggesting that the holy were keeping the rules, but without sufficiently asking why they existed or what was going on in their hearts. They weren't dealing with it. What's more, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The moral law still stands, but Jesus was claiming to supersede them. How very dare he. And then Jesus said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, wow, (laughs) and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Imagine how the Pharisees felt. They were the first righteous brothers. They had mastered the law. They had hundreds of rules and emancipations, and only by keeping them, they believed they could please their maker. How could Jesus' people be above the law? Well, Jesus wasn't saying that they would be. He was calling people to be in tune with the spirit of the law, not just go through the motions of obedience. And so I won't go into the detail because I'd need a series for that, but he explored and unpacked six clear examples. Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, and as he highlighted these examples, the Pharisees then became feeling less like the righteous brothers and more like the yard birds. Their anger and their desire for revenge was proving the point. They felt their holiness slipping away and they didn't like it. And let's face it, maybe we found that as we were listening to these words of Jesus today, we felt uncomfortable. We were probably quick to justify our response because we don't like to think that we're not as good as we think we are. Lust, well, that's not fair. I mean, we're made that way. Anger, come off it. I'm not in a temper. Enemies, love them, get real. But Jesus wanted us to be real, not to accept what might be the norm in today's culture, but to reach for what's better, whilst forgiving us and recreating us and helping us as well. So the point in these verses is that Jesus came not to rewrite the law. After all, he kept the law himself. He came to interpret it with love. He came to deepen it, revealing what God intended it to be, and also to set it in the context of a relationship with the divine. And that idea wasn't new. Remember those words of the prophet Jeremiah? This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put their law in my law in their minds. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
Now, my esteemed colleague, Martin, has written an excellent book on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Commission later, Martin, on that one. (laughs) It is very good. And he explores an image in the book of the Jewish law being a marriage agreement between God and his chosen people. He says, when Moses came down the mountain with stone tablets in his arms, you're really looking at the wedding ring, albeit bulky perhaps, but a token of love and commitment nonetheless. You see, Israel, on Israel's side, the deal was obedience, but they really struggled with that. They unfaithfully worshipped other gods. Their heart wasn't in their relationship. God, after all, was after their steadfast love, not empty sacrifices. So that's why, because this wasn't working, God sent his only son, Jesus, to establish this promised new covenant, an undeserved gift, a new heart relationship, if you like, made possible through him and through the cross and resurrection. And it all begins with knowing that we've messed up, that we can never keep the law perfectly, but we can be forgiven. We can begin again. We can want what God wants, asking Christ to begin his work in us. In other words, it's not all about us. It's about him coming to help us to live as he wants us to live, with great love, seeking to be even perfected in love. So here's the challenge, I think, this morning. Imagine Jesus saying to you, as he did to Peter on the beach, do you really love me? Do you really love me? You see, I think he wants us to follow in his way, to desire those beautiful attitudes that we've been looking at, and to apply God's law with great love in all that we do. Come and follow me, he says. We're not alone. You see, Jesus in John 14 said, If you keep my commands, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and will be with you forever. We all make mistakes. We've all messed up in the past. We've let God down We've let ourselves down. But Jesus makes that new beginning possible if we're totally dependent on his grace and his mercy. The seemingly impossible call to be perfect is only possible because of our Lord. It's a matter of accepting Jesus' radical challenge, being thankful with huge gratitude for his death and resurrection, that means that we want to serve him because of all he's done, and then allowing him to begin his work in our hearts. And that starts as we open ourselves to his Holy Spirit. So my message today is, we need to allow our Lord to reprogram us. For it's only by the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we'll be enabled to be Jesus' people. And it's only by the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we can be empowered to do the work of God's kingdom. It's God who enables us to be and to do. And we need to turn to him 
in humility and ask him to change us. Amen.